0: Hello, everyone. We're back to In the Weeds. Monica Jean here, field crops educator based out of St. John's, Michigan, um, for MSU Extension. And we are actually in my office today. Um, I'm here with two guests, uh, both also who work for MSU Extension, but a little bit different jobs than mine. Um, Erica and Sarah, can you go ahead and introduce yourselves, please?
1: Sure. I am a, This is Sarah Franzak. I'm an environmental management educator uh i work out of the hillsdale office but i cover
2: the whole state and uh yeah and uh i'm erica rogers i'm also an environmental management educator located in elma um, and also have statewide responsibilities as well now your
0: position i guess when i say field crops i think uh most people are like oh okay corn or like they can kind of figure out what i do but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's as obvious for your position. Do you mind explaining a little bit about how you fit in um, with agriculture and then your roles too with just the community at large? Sure. Um, so, in general,
1: we help farmers make good environmental decisions on their farms. Um, but it can also spread into um, community groups. So we do work with general citizens.
2: Yeah, um, and a lot of that goes into nutrient management, um, odor management, water quality, manure management, all kinds of fun stuff like that.
0: And so you mentioned um, making good environmental decisions on the farms. What kind of decisions are you referring to then? Is it pretty much about inputs like you just said manure and stuff or is there some other
1: I think a lot of it's about manure but it can also be things like um in field practices so uh if you have erosion on your field um then we can help with sheet and rill erosion by talking about cover crops um no-till farming um Uh, we're talking about filter strips, waterways, um, things like that can also be part of that, the structural part of uh, it. And then on the farmstead, there's also a lot of structural stuff that can be done um, environmentally.
2: Yeah, and I think some of the other things as far as best management practices are concerned, we talk a lot about um, if you're using manure as a fertilizer source, getting a manure analysis to understand the concentrations of the nutrients that are in that, um, and also having soil tests to better understand how much um, of those nutrients, whether it's manure nutrients or even commercial fertilizer, how much of those nutrients the soil can actually take and how much the crop is taking out, because what happens, and I mean, most people know this, but if you overload the nutrients, they are going to potentially leach out or run off. if it's not applied at an appropriate time. And so losing those nutrients is not only an economic disadvantage, but it's also an environmental disadvantage from a standpoint that that's where you run into a lot of trouble, um, legally. It can be really hard. Some
0: of those best management practices we would like our farmers, um, and they want to follow too, but it can be really difficult, especially in, uh, years like 2019 when our weather is just, um, just not cooperative, (laughs) uh, What other barriers or hurdles do you see that farmers face when they're trying to follow those best management practices um, that you guys would recommend?
1: I think some of it is monetary, some of it can be really expensive to comply with, especially if you're faced with having to install a new manure pit or something like that. That can be really difficult. I think also like there's different systems of tillage that people employ and they might not understand how to apply under certain kinds of tillage.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think some of the things that I've heard in my area, and we know that um, some of the conditions in Hillsdale versus Alma are a little different even from a a social standpoint sometimes, but sometimes even just kind of getting through programs to install these BMPs um, has been historically difficult from a, a paperwork and time side of things and so some farmers will just install their own BMPs without that assistance um, which is I mean it's great that they want to take that initiative and so I think some of those are some of the barriers that we have I think too every every field you know not not only is every farm different but every field on the farm is different and so having a good understanding of each of those fields and how that works. I think some of the other things you know you mentioned. 2019 has been a bit of a interesting year, to say the least, in agriculture for several reasons. Um, and I think one of those barriers, if if we're talking manure specifically, is finding the right time to get out and uh, apply that manure um, from a standpoint of weather and not wanting to lose that manure from surface runoff, but also when we talk about the saturation of the soil and compaction and things. And so sometimes at that point, following BMPs gets really difficult because of the limited scope of, of time that you have to do that. I would say some of our equipment that we could use to still
0: be able to do some application, like the drag line, it's just so expensive. I mean, if you haven't Mm -hmm. invested in that to invest in that and especially when our, our financial situation for a lot of these farmers isn't, you know, it's a tough time to in our corn and soybean prices. That <laughs> um, that'd be so hard then to go invest in, in, in a drag line type operation or, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a lot easier to stick with what you've always done, um, to just continue in that because um, investing in getting rid of waste um, seems like a waste.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, that. You should put that in a, on a shirt. Uh, Outside of what's happening on the farm, we also have a lot of rhetoric occurring socially. Uh, That could be with your neighbors. That could be with just advocates in your region. They may not even be your neighbor. I think both of you have taken time to speak with those concerned citizens. Can you sum it up? Is there any good take-home message there?
1: I think when it comes to citizens there's some misunderstanding from their part about what farms are about Um, but i think that a lot of their complaints are valid and it's really difficult to strike the balance between the two groups Um, but i think understanding like compassion for each other can go a long way understanding like maybe a farmer isn't in the economic position to invest in a different kind of manure spreading system that would reduce odor, say, and what would have to happen in the system that we all live in, right, to our food system to make that economic sustainability uh, a reality for farmers and what we can do as consumers to do that.
2: I think a lot of times instead of embracing water quality as a we issue it becomes a you know us versus them issue and that's you know and, and both sides have very valid concerns about the other but I, I think unfortunately trying to get those together sometimes is um, it's it's difficult um, and not everybody's willing to do that and so it's a matter of you know finding the right people to have those conversations with because you're not going to move the dial for everybody um, on either side and and that's okay but there are people who very much want clean water and and want to see the water thriving in this state Um, and that's on both sides of the spectrum with that so I think also um, in regards to social pressure I think I think there's kind of a Walmart mentality as far as you know in some respects as far as how much people are willing to pay for their food and how much they can actually truly afford to pay for their food and so then unfortunately there's kind of a middleman that exists there and so you know it keeps the prices down for consumers sometimes but then on the other side it also keeps the income down right the income Mm -hmm. down for farms and so unfortunately they're not farmers aren't seeing that price boost
1: yeah we don't uh farmers don't see the a big portion of the food dollar right so it also stops a lot of innovation on
2: farms because
1: they don't they don't make what they need to make
2: right why pay the money if you're not gonna you know invest in something like that if you're not gonna see a a return and so I, you know, obviously that's not going to be something that's fixed overnight, but I, I think having an awareness of that is important for both consumers, communities, agriculture,
0: um, yeah. So if a farmer is listening and they say to themselves, I would like to do a better job, A, you know, incorporating in environmental um, protection on my farm, or, and even maybe um, B, I want to do a better job communicating what I might already be doing that well to my neighbors. What kinds of tools or or suggestions would you have for them for these um, problems? Well, if you're already
1: doing a great job on your farm, I'd suggest going through MEEP verification. Um, You get a sign to put out front. There's a a really easy way of communicating the good stuff that you're already doing. Um, You can learn about that through the MDARD website. Just Google. MDARD. (laughs) MDARD. MEEP. MEEP. So that's the Michigan Agricultural Environmental Assurance Program. One of the things that I would start thinking about is the 4R framework that would help you formulate your approach to doing best management practices. So the 4Rs are right rate, right time, right place, right source. So let's talk about like right place, for example. Um, There's tools to help you do that, like the like the sensitive area tool that's on um, Michigan State's website um, that would help you identify some of the places that might be you might want to avoid when you're applying nutrients.
2: Yeah and we also have um, the Michigan Enviro Impact tool and it's it's basically a, a runoff risk decision support tool and so it helps um, kind of determine when are those best times So, you move into that right time kind of mindset of okay, when is it appropriate to apply manure or apply nutrients to the soil based on weather conditions, soil saturation, uh, precipitation amounts, and things like that. And so, that tool can actually help determine where some of those high risk areas you can look the day, like within those 24 hours, what does the runoff risk look like that day? And then also, you can look kind of a week out to help plan as far as, okay, today's not a good day to spread, but what about, you know, two or three days from now? What does my runoff risk look like? So
1: now is it a precision tool? No, CANMAP is a tool for people that don't use precision um, to better plan their nutrient applications, which honestly I think is
0: a lot of people still yeah, definitely. Not 100% of farms. I, I mean, I'm not even going to try to guess how many percentage of farms is usually using variable, right? I think what's getting more common is that we do have outfits that come in purpose, right? Custom applicators. And so maybe that's something, that's a conversation that needs to happen with that agribusiness is to incorporate right. in that layer into their map.
1: Yeah, so... um Usually the sensitive area maps are something that if I was farming, I would just print out and hand to them because you can do it field by field. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: I would even say can map helps from a standpoint of the right rate cause it helps you determine, like once you input your soil samples, how much of a, you know, in your crop, cropping system, like kind of what um, that looks like. It'll help you determine what rate you should be applying at or if you should be applying anything to that field even. So I think there's tools that help address all those considerations as far as the four R's. So where could they find
0: these tools? Is there like a good page that they're available on or central location or no? Yes and no, I would say. <laughs>
2: um, so actually we're, we have a, um, a grant where we're trying to work at getting all these tools into one location, one um, spot on a website where people can go and find these all in the same section. Um, they are, on websites, but they're not all on the same websites just yet. So, and the map tool is a really new tool that hasn't been fully rolled out just yet. And so as we're going through this grant over the next couple years, that's something we'll be addressing and something we'll be um, training on, is this, this tool. So farmers could get trained on them if they...
1: Okay. Absolutely. Or we'll be providing training to farmers, but also to conservation districts, mm-hmm. NRCS, staff and other extension agents cool yeah. hopefully
0: agronomists like people it,
1: on my team if they want to
0: awesome. for sure
1: but the tools are free the training is free um pretty accessible
0: so will you list to me one more time then those three main tools that you guys were talking about
1: the tools are can map s sensitive area uh tool and then uh impact.
0: And what is this program called then that would address them?
1: Uh, so if you're looking into the training, it's going to be called Conservation Tools for
2: Nutrient Management.
1: And you can look on advent, in the events page for at
0: MSU once they're posted for updates. We'll write some articles, too, when we okay. are going to do some of these trainings and stuff so people are aware. Right, we'll make sure it's on our Facebook and Twitter page There we go for people. Is there any other projects besides that main one, then, that you're working on?
2: Yeah, so we're actually starting, um, and hopefully we'll be rolling out soon, uh, a manure hauler certification program. So it's a voluntary program, um, but the idea is that those who are working with manure, whether it is for higher manure applicators or if you are on a farm and applying manure. Um, The idea is that it's a training on MSU's website through the Desire to Learn or D2L. Um, It'll be basically a course that you can go through to help have um, some really great, you know, best management practices in a a sense uh, for applying manure um, as far as, you know, from any um, emergency management that needs to happen. Should there be some kind of spill, um, the right way to apply manure, the right—you know—it it addresses those four R's. Um, um, it also like maintenance of equipment. Yep. Mm. Um, so it's roadworthy, but also
1: to prevent some of those emergencies from happening. You know, you want to make sure your equipment's checked out.
2: Yeah. So and the idea is that this this gives people more confidence as they're applying manure, but. I think the other part of it too is that it kind of gives the public a little more confidence, and communities a little more confidence that the people who are applying these nutrients um, in the form of manure have have this training um, to to do it appropriately. So you know, a lot of people are doing it the right way, but again, it it, it gives kind of a um, I guess a confidence boost in some sense. You've got this program rolling out. A lot of stuff going on you'll come
0: back right when things are kind of working and rolling and we can awesome that'd be great absolutely sure. I want to do one more thing at the end because I think this topic is can be really divisive in our communities I just I think I want us all to say why we work in the environmental realm so I'm not an environmental management person for MSU I'm a field crops person I try to keep my roots firmly based in the soil but I, I think this is important because I want my farms to still be around in 30 years. I want them to still be around 100 years. And I want our communities to stand behind that the food we produce and know that it's safe and that it's plentiful and that the farming community cares. And I truly believe we do. Uh, but I think just like with the human race um, our farming community has to continue to, to involve and improve and, you know, do a better job. We all need to do a better job. I think it's really bold to say that, no, nah, what I'm doing is good. <laughs> you know, I don't need to improve at all. So that's my, that's why I talk about some of these topics. I, um, I
1: function under the belief that farmers are land stewards and they love their land. And they are the caretakers of the the services that the land provides, whether that's growing food or infiltrating water. And I believe that identity should be preserved in agriculture and in the farmer. Um, so being raised on a farm and having that was my father's belief as a farmer, and it's something that lives in my spirit,
0: and um, that's why I do what I do. I always joke and say it's in my blood. Yeah. can't even help it. <laughs> I, can't, no, I can't get
1: away from it. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: try to
2: not work an ag and,
0: you know, just
2: pose your back in. It's in your blood. Do you have I, any final
0: notes, Erica? I or? mean,
2: I would, I would echo what both of you said. I just, I have never, honestly, I've never met a group of people with more passion about something, and I think... I think part of that is passion and staying relevant with kind of how things are evolving within not just the world, but in our communities, if we take it to a local level. And I think continuing to stay relevant means continuing to um, evolve as we learn more environmentally. And as some of the desires within communities, um, and not just desires, but um, as some of those needs kind of turn to the environment, I think that that's like you said, for longevity, I think that that's important yeah. to consider um, in agriculture. And I, I think there are a lot of farmers out there that do want to do the right thing. Um, but I, I think it's an ever-evolving process that you can't just stop at one point and say, "Okay, I'm done. That's good." It's okay. What's the next step now? And I, I think that has a big impact, especially in the state of Michigan, where we are surrounded by water, not only by the Great Lakes, but in the state, too, um, yeah. from an inland perspective. And so I think it's a, a great responsibility and a great opportunity, not only for our state, but I think even to set an example for other states and other countries of how we are protecting the water while still being sustainable in agriculture. Mm. I got me the shivers
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I don't, I don't know if any of you out there do too, but I hopefully, I just wanted to maybe explain some of our background and motivation with this. So thank you ladies for answering that weird question. <laughs>
2: yeah and
0: thank you for joining me today this was a lot of fun i, I enjoy seeing you guys i just need to paint this picture quick of erica is wearing a very festive holiday sweater Let's hear your bells, with a erica. dog and a bunch of yeah yeah there you go thank you for jingling your sweater for us erica. Uh, so with that it, we are around the holiday season so happy holidays to both of you and to the listeners and thank you for joining us thanks, thanks for Monica. This podcast has been brought to you by the MSU Extension Field Crops Team. For more podcasts or information, please visit us at canr.msu.edu backslash field underscore crops. Thanks for listening.